Welcome into another mediocre edition of Sportball. I'm your boy Sam. With me, as always, are Seth and Kyle. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing Greetings. on this rainy evening? It's not rainy over here. It rain- I was about to walk the dog. It rained. I was like, oh my God, now what? Rain stopped in two minutes. Yeah, it's not raining over here. God heard me. So I'm not really sure why I said that. I got caught in it earlier, though. Yeah, it just really gets you this summer. Um, but we're not weathermen, are we? I mean, I can't speak for both of you, but I'm not. And we're not sports analysts either. So do you guys want to just hop off the Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> so we are here to bring you another uh, expert hour of basketball analysis. Um, thought we'd go over some recent news happening as of now we're recording on wednesday 6 30 june 30th at 8 20 p.m central standard time set your clocks to it and by the time you hear this it'll be whatever day you're listening to it so <laughs> uh i want to talk about some recent more recent news and then i wanted to play a fun little game i mean game is a stretch a big stretch fun it should- <laughs> is a leap <laughs> I wanted you guys to catch me up on what I missed when I was on vacation for the last couple of weeks um, and only caught some basketball. So now we'll play that and we'll catch our listeners up on what's happened since the last pod. And then we will finish up with a little enticing review of how our Stogie Squam, these Skull Dog boys are doing. Spoiler alert, you, none of them are doing well. Can, <laughs> we imagine hate all the teams. can you imagine if Stephen A went on vacation for a couple of weeks and then showed up back on air and just expected his fellow analysts to just tell them what's happened you never well, do that as i clearly said we're not sports analysts so it's fine for me uh you're not getting paid for this i did show up back at my job and said what did i miss tell me what happened <laughs> so same thing <laughs> all right so i wanted to start off with some big news that we all watched last night which is Giannis hybrid sending his knee in a game four loss to the atlanta hawks in the eastern conference finals um too soon (laughs) i get it (laughs) i'll tell you what okay please it bent the wrong way i saw it live and i didn't like it one bit yeah it was gross looking yeah and i think it seems like you guys just told me that he avoided a major injury right um yeah, he didn't tear anything in his knee, but it looks like he'll at least miss game five. Um, Trey missed game four, but yet the Hawks were up 10 already when it happened because the Bucks are a fucking disgrace to humankind. So they end up losing that game. They waste that game away without Trey. Now they won't have Giannis for game five. So going into game four, I was almost like, Bucks up 2-1, Trey's not playing. Fuck, like this series might be over. And now I'm thinking tied 2-2, Giannis out, Trey probably coming back with a less serious injury. Fuck, series over the other way. But Isn't that wild? Yeah, it can change, can change in an instant. Yeah, so what do you what do you guys think, expect to happen in the rest of the series uh, with that Giannis injury news? Atlanta to the moon, baby. <laughs> nothing more to say. I think it's... Um, I, I think this has really shown us Bud's capabilities as a playoff coach the ability to or the inability to um to adjust right everything was game planned around Trey Trey's gone you don't have really a sole ball handler anymore a lot more switching or a lot less switching and whatnot there's 
there, there was just no adjustments made to the defensive game plan by the Bucks, and the Hawks without Trey were really able to utilize a lot of their pieces and getting get a lot more people going to uh, to come away with that victory. I really hope the Hawks make the finals because I just can't watch. It'd be so electric. Team. It would be so fun to watch. Trey Young. I just sorry. Before you jump in, Seth, I just wanted to say how disgusted I am with the Bucks. Um, I hate them. I was thinking about a lot today while I was at work, and <laughs> I was thinking about how we all know that Giannis is basically Shaq, right? We all see that. Okay, you know he's a dominant amount of paint, but he's not that guy that you can go to for a mid range or or a deep shot late in the game, right? We all understand this. And the real problem for this team is like. Unfortunately for Giannis, they don't have a Kobe Bryant, right? They have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who can do a facsimile of a late game score some games, but they're so wildly inconsistent that one of them is going to have a six for 23 game every game, right? So he doesn't have that score to, to, you know, take that burden off of him. And instead of Phil Jackson, he has Mike Budenhoser. <laughs> one of so, the worst playoff coaches of all time. Imagine if Shaq had a terrible playoff coach and a fish instead of Kobe Bryant. And that's what you have for this team. <laughs> Just ruthless. <clears throat> yeah. I mean that, uh, what, which game was that in the Brooklyn series when they, was a game four when they won, but it was the most ugly basketball that earth has ever seen. Um, that was what really kind of turned the tide for me on the Bucks Cause it was like I was cheering for them to win in that game, but just watching them, I couldn't, I could hardly stand it. It was just no movement, no energy. Giannis pull up three, you know, one after another. It was just gross. And there's, there's been some marginal improvements over the last several games. And when, when their guys are rolling, when Middleton's hitting shots, you know, their offense looks decent, but yeah, like you said, the consistency is what makes great players great. And Middleton's not there yet. Um, I think yeah. Giannis is doing a better job or his coaches are doing a better job corralling him Yeah, lately. Um, and I think he's, I have to look at the numbers more closely, but my eye test recollection is that he's been making his free throws more often against the Hawks than he was against the Nets. Still um, taking more than 10 seconds every single free throw. Yeah. That's you know, my I favorite know. Thing. It's my favorite thing when he's on the line, when the crowd all collectively counts. And I know they're counting a little fast to get in his head, but they still get to like 13, 14. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, even though they're counting a little fast. Yeah. They, it's still wildly over 10, 10 seconds. And he airballed two out of his free three throws before he got injured in the last game. It's like your free throw routine clearly isn't working, right? And uh, one thing... I don't know if you missed this or not, Sam, but it happened while you were gone was the NBA released in their two minute report uh, that the referees missed two, uh, two times when Giannis violated the 10 second rule on free throw and they should have called it and they didn't in one of those games and the Bucks lost that game anyways. So it didn't really matter, but I thought that was interesting that the NBA actually you know, called that out. And I was wondering if that would lead the refs to calling it then in subsequent games, but so far it has not. It's but such a that's weird just, thing. 
because they just they gotta figure to call that it, out. Yeah, sometimes they don't, and it's like you weren't calling just, it the entire regular season. Yeah, just either decide not to enforce the rule ever, or change it so people get more time, or put it, the ten seconds up on the shot clock so everyone can see it, and if it goes off before he shoots, then it's a violation. Like. There's simple solutions to this, but the instead we're just going the fact that we don't every once a shot, in a while. Put a shot clock on is just outrageous. How has that never yeah. been a thing? <laughs> you don't even see. You know how the refs count the five seconds in the inbounds. You don't even see them doing that for the free throw. It's like, right? Is you there look, no system for counting it? They literally just do this with their finger and then count in their head. <laughs> That's their counting mechanism. <laughs> so I we swear to God, watch when he's, to be, watch one of the refs stopwatch. Watch the ref when he's on the line. Watch their finger. They just do this. While we're complaining about the refs, always. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna forget what the moment was. But there was a a moment. I think it must have been in the Clippers Suns game uh, two nights ago. And Steve Javi said something about. Steve. He said something about. You know, you got to consider some people don't want to hear this, but you got to consider time and situation in the game and, and where we are. I heard that. I was like, what the fuck? I thought the whole point, like all the refs swear, swear that they call the game the same way, no matter where it is, playoffs, regular season, how much time is left. And then Steve is just like, yeah, you know, I forget what the play was, but I was I shocked. I remember that, that exactly. And the funny thing. The fact that they have Steve Jobby, who is a used car salesman, come on the on the recording and say every time, yes, the refs were right. And it's a big ejaculation party for the refs because he's a ref himself. Why do I need to see that? Just don't even bring him on. Not when Jeff's on the broadcast. Yeah. And then Jeff, he disagrees with Jeff and Mark every single like, time. I was right. And Jeff's like, just because the refs agree with you doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> every single time Jeff says, Steve, I disagree. Jeff is such a national treasure, dude. I mean, uh, by far my least favorite is when uh, there's a flagrant foul and they say, or honestly, anything, any kind of review where it's a flagrant and they say, well, there's excessive, unnecessary force or whatever, or it'll be a, a challenge and they say, uh, there was, call has been overturned, there was a, uh, defender was in league regarding position whatever then steve javi comes on and he's like yeah well uh based on my expert opinion uh, it looks like the refs decided that uh there was enough evidence to overturn that call and uh defender was in legal guarding position all right thanks steve uh great job there it's like what the hell he literally said nothing he just repeated the information we already knew they're like the refs called a foul let's bring steve in steve says yeah i think they thought it was a foul all right thanks steve <laughs> thanks for my used honda accord as well <laughs> let's uh i want to transition from bitching about the refs to continuing to bitch about the bucks for a second oh, i thought uh, you were gonna say steve <laughs> <laughs> so it's clear to all of us right that if the nets were fully healthy that wouldn't have even been close i mean it went to a game seven with no Kyrie and uh no harden for half of it and a hobbled harden for the rest of it so like what do we even do with that you know what i'm saying just because the bucks came out doesn't mean i'm i think any more highly of their team right no Kyle thinks less highly of them they're terrible I mean <laughs> who could like who could feel good about the Bucks coming out of that you know it's Other like cool you won fans. but and the injuries I just want to go through it real quick again because the story of these playoffs like with the Giannis injury has been injuries right yeah. more than any time I can remember in my young life 
injuries are going to decide who, who wins the finals. That's just what it is this year. Right. And of course we want to give credit to the teams that made it there and, you know, their own adversity they fought through, but that's the plain and simple truth. Right. Anthony Davis went out in the first round. I mean, Kawhi's out. Okay. Joel and B got injured and was hobbled. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley were out. Uh, James Harden and Kyrie, like we just said, now Giannis, it's like every star player and every team got injured. Right. And what's going to end up happening is whoever makes the finals is the most healthy team. Again, full credit to them. You know, they just played what was in front of them. And I think it did give us on the plus side, a chance to see a lot of these other young stars step up like Booker and Trey. Right. And that's been exciting, but it must be said that that's the storyline of this playoffs. Right. I mean, hands yeah. down, it's like when, when is the NBA just going to decrease the number of regular season games, give the players a little bit more of a break in between regular season games, more of a break between that and the playoffs. Like it doesn't make any sense. There's no need to push these players like that. Regular season means absolutely nothing. <laughs> We've seen it for how many years? Yeah, I think it, I don't know. It's the eternal argument about well, how much does you know wear and tear on the player on the players? Does the schedule? Does the strenuousness of the season? How does much does that add to injuries? Right, the Trey Young injury he stepped back on a referee's foot. Like, is that because he was tired from a long regular season? Like it was no, just but, a fluke. but when you look at the overall like landscape and how many injuries there were, it's probably some correlation. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, I mean, it's wild to think that of every single contending team, their very best player got injured at some point. And like the bucks were the last one. And then Giannis just got injured yesterday. Um, and I was all ready to like go into the finals projecting like Suns Bucks and just saying, yeah, those are just the two healthiest teams in the playoffs. That's why they made it. Um, which I think to some extent, like health and conditioning is within the control of the team. Like they should deserve some credit and some praise for you know, outlasting everybody else, but it's also pretty fluky too. And it's just a shame when we're all wanting to watch the best players play at the biggest stage and half of them are injured. Here, I was just going to say quick, here's the plus side at least. Last four teams, right? Bucks haven't won since, yeah, Bucks haven't won since 1974. Um, Hawks have never won. Clips have never even Clippers have never even made the Western Conference Finals. Suns have never won. And like I said, where we got these this new blood, like Kyle was saying, a young Trey Young, um, DeAndre Aiden and Devin Booker, Giannis, Chris you know, one. Chris Paul, Giannis. We've had our troubles with him, but we you know we'd like to see him succeed certainly. Uh, but would I though? I don't know anymore. But and you know, I hope he never wins a ring. <laughs> and you know, now that Kawhi's so out. Bitter we get to see Paul George has shred himself in a way we really haven't seen in a while. So those, those have been some at least interesting subplots with these injuries, but it's not what we expected to watch in these playoffs. So The, uh, the Paul George thing is interesting. It's kind of doing what you were hoping he would when the Kawhi injury happened. Right, Sam. But 
his uh, his late game free throws has to be one of the worst percentages in the league, right? They lost another game over the weekend because he missed late game free throws. You weren't watching that game, but what the Suns won like eighty four to eighty or something. Paul George missed more. More free it's happened twice because in the in the DeAndre yeah. Aiden game winning alley oop, yeah. it happened as well. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things that used to happen with LeBron too, where like he'd have a dominant game and you knew at the end of the game for some reason he'd miss one of two. You know, and this is even worse than that. It's interesting. I mean, at the same time though, the Clippers wouldn't be in any of those games this series if it wasn't for Paul George. So, hundred sure. percent. I think he's. You're right, though, that he's such an enigma because you're like, oh, my God, Paul George is stepping up. He is made for this moment. And then he misses two free throws. And you're like, all right, I don't know what to think anymore. You know what I'm saying? But he has – he's had a couple 30, 40-point games, and he has stepped up in a way. He almost looks more comfortable without Kawhi. Maybe just Definitely, like the yeah. urgency of the situation, knowing he has to take control. You've seen that too, Seth? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's the certainty in his role. You know, without Knowing Kawhi, he has to be the alpha. Yeah. He like thrives with, in that. Yeah. I think so. And with Kawhi, it's like the your turn, my turn thing. And he's not sure, like, okay, is it my turn? Should I should I give the ball back to Kawhi? Should I go for it? Like, I feel like he's less in a rhythm than when it's really like he's the go-to guy. And I don't know. I just I guess I'm not as perplexed or as surprised maybe as what Sam was just articulating. Like, I think he is who he is he's very talented certain games he looks he is the best player on the floor and certain games he's not and that's true for you know everyone outside of the top like 11 players in the NBA right and that's why they're not the best of the best is because they're inconsistent um and so especially when it's um when the offense is his there's going to be more of those games where he's really popping and he's hot, you know, having a hot shooting night and he goes for 35 and I think he deserves the credit for those games. Um, But I don't, I still am not going into the game confident that Paul George is going to dominate like I am with uh, Damian Lillard or Steph Curry, you know. You know, it's interesting. We've kind of been wondering, when or if Paul George would ever become the Paul George that he was when he was with the Pacers. And it's funny that we're kind of seeing that now in these playoffs when he is the hands-down alpha dominant player on a team and doesn't have to kind of play second fiddle to another superstar. You know, it's weird you think that when, you know, superstars team up, that would make – the team better, obviously, but it seems like Paul George is like an enigma in the sense that he thrives and plays just much better when it's just him surrounded by role players. Okay, I've been thinking about this for a while. Another thing I was thinking about at work. Uh, so you ever actually work? <laughs> I'm just like mad. I've given up. So Paul George seems like the perfect second fiddle, right? Because he's a near 50, 40, 90 shooter, right? And just kind of kind of play off ball and isn't a primary player playmaker. But I brought up this issue when they first came together. And I've been thinking about it more. Like they play the same position. Okay. And on its face, that doesn't seem that bad. But like you think about duos that work well together, I feel like one of them has to be 
like different than the other. And one of them like has a guard to be, and a forward. One of them has to be a decent playmaker, right? That's what it really comes down to. So you think about LeBron and AD, right? LeBron is essentially a point guard. You think about Chris Paul and Booker, right? Chris Paul is a facilitator, more of a pass first player, and Booker's a scorer, right? Um, and then Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George has never been a great playmaker. He's always turnover prone. And Kawhi, you know, has kind of forced himself to be a decent playmaker, but that's not his main role. So I just don't know if two non-playmaking wings are great fits next to each other, if that makes any sense. I mean, I know MJ and Scotty did, but, you know, these guys aren't as good as them. So I don't know. Paul George has actually that. looked much better, too, in, in the playmaking. Uh, yeah, he has. It's true. Playmaking side of the game without Kawhi. Like, what's he's averaging, what, like 12 assists a game in these in the Sun series, I think, something like that. And his yeah, passes and, to, and everything are on point. Yeah. To your point, Sam, it reminds me of, unfortunately, of Tatum and Brown. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big complaints that we've had or, or critiques that we had this last season was that nobody is playmaking on the Celtics. Celtics fans, myself oh. and others. <laughs> um, it was that we don't have enough playmaking and it's just Tatum and Brown, your turn, my turn. And obviously I want that duo to stick together, but I think mostly Tatum needs to step up his playmaking and, and making his teammates better. And so, and, and I think there's a personality aspect as well with the Clippers. We're just talking about how Paul George is an enigma, but Kawhi is the biggest enigma in basketball where nobody ever knows what's going on in his head or how he relates to his teammates or his coaches or how long he's going to stay. It's just like all a question mark. So I'm sure that's part of it. Did you hear that Paul George leaked that Kawhi just had his, I think, second kid? Did you know Kawhi had any kids? <laughs> he just had his second kid, I think. Maybe his they, third. When he was in the press box and Mike Breen had that great line when he was like, Kawhi oh. going crazy, and it's just him standing there. He was like, oh, yeah, he's sitting with his family. I was like, he has a family? <laughs> you imagine he's, marrying him? <laughs> Does he ever talk? I think he's been with the same girl since college. Wow. I did read that a couple a uh, year or two ago, but yeah, I didn't know sure he had kids. He up <laughs> and yeah. I'm I'm very interested to know what's going on with his injury because it seems like it's it's like a I don't know it wasn't quite an ACL tear but maybe like a strain or a sprain and something that could keep you out a couple Partial weeks. Tear. Yeah, so I just don't know how long he's going to be out. No one seems to know or be telling you know, and I'm just not sure if he's ever going to make it back to this series. I mean, Game Six is happening right now. And he's not playing. So he has one more chance, maybe, if they win. So not looking pretty good. good that he won't be playing in the series. Yeah, the Suns are leading 3-2 and uh, up right now at the end of the first as we speak. So we'll keep the listeners updated on that. They might be able to close up the series right now. Um, so probably we all think the Suns are going to close this out, either this game or the next, right? But like we said, it's so. been it's been what – we doubted we would see from Paul George, but we have seen him step up and it's been, you know, I, we, I think we've all been not the biggest fans of Paul George, but it's been good to see him step up and Reggie Jackson, it should be mentioned has also risen his stock greatly during these playoffs. I mean, the man, the man basically scores 20 points every game now. Who is he's a toad. I don't know. 
He's a different beast, but the same animal. Um, so those are the series going on right now. I also want to talk about some coaching news as well. So Chauncey Billups was hired as the Portland coach. Um, and we can use that to transition into some Damian Lillard talk in a second, but, um, so he was hired. It seemed like a lot of people were against it because of a rape allegation from 1997, which we all said before that we started recording, we weren't even aware of. And, um, and I was telling you guys before, I don't want to get too serious on this pod or anything, but it's just a bad look. I feel like when you hire this guy with rape allegations and then Jason Kidd gets hired from the Mavericks um, with a domestic abuse case in his past, especially considering the Mavericks culture that we heard about in a news story last year, where there's been a lot of sexism going on in that workplace. And then Becky Hammond has not gotten hired yet, who we all think is a great candidate and could be the first woman head coach. So I just think it's just kind of a stark in your face. This is how the world works right now kind of thing. And it just, I don't know. I just didn't like the look of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I forget if this was on a, on the podcast last time, or if we just, uh, if, if we just talked about it, but I was hoping the Celtics might hire Becky Hammond. Um, I'm happy with Udoka who they did end up hiring as well. Um, Shout out to the first like I'm, black I'm coach in Celtics well. history. <laughs> yeah, what was that tweet? <laughs> oh, to for the listeners, Jay Williams tweeted out that and then claimed that his account got hacked. It's like, who hacks your account just to say something that's <laughs> like wrong but not that offensive? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that was very strange. But um, the Celtics had the most black coaches in NBA history. Yeah, I think they've had six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a larger conversation for another time. Um, is this whole idea about okay? Do we ever forgive someone for what they did twenty plus years ago? Um, is there an opportunity for forgiveness? Because you know, Chauncey, to my knowledge, has never come out and taken accountability for what he did or, you know, admitted fault. I think he said in a quote recently that that situation, you know, shaped his life or something, but that's what I always have a hard time with is I don't believe in um, punishment really. I believe in consequences. I think that, you know, powerful people who cause harm to other people should be stripped of their power and that should be the consequence that they have. I don't think that they should be punished for the rest of their life in cruel ways or ways that, um, you know, prevent them from living a life. Obviously Chauncey is doing just fine. Um, I don't know if it's like makes any sense logically or morally to say like, okay, we're fine with him being an assistant coach and no one makes a deal about that. But then as soon as he gets hired as a head coach, then we bring this up. But at the same time, like, I don't know, maybe he shouldn't be a coach at all until he's willing to like be accountable for the violence that he's inflicted on other people in the past. Um, So it's one of those things. And it's also like the three of us really don't know anything other than what we read online. So it's hard to say. Um, like we obviously don't know the situations, but 
it's like I would like to see a woman head coach hired before two head coaches with past allegations of assault on women being hired. Is that too much to ask for? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, you know, when coach Hammond will get her chance. Um, Yeah. And I wonder if it's one of those vacancies that are still open, including the Pelicans and the magic. Um, And I'll be interested to see, especially in the Chauncey hire, how that impacts what Damian Lillard decides to do, because it was reported that he has grown discontented with the front office, partially because of this head coaching um, hiring process and partially because he doubts their ability to build a championship contender in Portland. And so Kyle, when you hear that, do you think Damian Lillard eventually asks out? And if so, any trades you like for him? Is Kyle frozen or is he just, oh, there he is. What, couldn't hear me? No, No. start over from the beginning when we were born. says my internet connection is unstable. Makes sense. You're an unstable Um, (laughs) No, I think, (laughs) you know, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, Dame, I think, I don't know if it was him or his camp said that they were going to, you know, pay attention, one, obviously, to the coaching hire, but also what's done to the team around him. I think there were some comments made about Dame not feeling like they've made adequate acquisitions with this time there in terms of turning the team into a championship contender. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, this is real. <laughs> um, and if we see Dame move, that could change kind of the whole um, – I don't know the word I'm looking for. Just landscape uh, of the NBA. That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, we know we know Dame himself is a certified winner, um, clutchest player, maybe in NBA history, the way that he's performed the last few years. Um, but what team wouldn't you put him on, uh, or what team would you could you put him on and it wouldn't work? Right. It's like, like for all the trades, you'd love it for the other team. And you just got to find one that you would love for Portland, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I, we've seen it a lot recently where the teams trading these superstar players aren't getting anything really in return. Um, just because we're in that whole era of player empowerment. Uh, and if the player wants something, the player essentially gets it. So, uh, I don't think Dame's the type, though, that would screw the future of Portland with his demands. But at the same time, if he wants out, Dame's going to get out. Yeah, my prediction is that he'll just end up staying and they'll smooth things over. And, you know, similar to what seems to be happening with Russell Wilson right now at the Seahawks, like everyone thought he's going to get traded and then time goes by and, you know, it's probably sticking around. So I think, I, I think that's what would happen. Um, the best trade that I've heard, which Zach Lowe brought up in his podcast was Denver trading Jamal Murray and maybe some picks. I was going to say Dame. Denver. And I love it because it capitalizes on Jokic's prime, right? Jamal is going to be out most of next year, if not all of next year. And so you're, you're 
not wasting a year of Jokic's, you know, MVP caliber. Plus, uh, it allows Portland to be able to tank while retaining a premium young star. So Jamal will be out all of next year. They could trade CJ, just be terrible next year, and then get a high draft pick. Hopefully that, you know, is a prospect who turns out for them and they have that person plus Jamal and maybe some other Denver picks in the future. And that would be their new core that they're building around plus whatever they get in a CJ trade. So I kind of like that. Um, I don't think that'll ever happen because I don't think Denver is going to trade Murray. Um, but that's my, my favorite hypothetical deal. But like I said, I think he'll just end up sticking around in Portland and they'll try to make some moves on the margins. Like what would you think if few years. what would you think if Boston said Kemba and Jalen Brown for Dame? They don't have, Kemba, don't have anymore. Kemba anymore. Oh, so that'd be shit, hard. Never mind. <laughs> that has been brought um, up though, but it's like I'm just not sure. Jaylen, trade? Isn't Jalen Brown like I think he's almost too good for them to tank and then not good enough for you to build a contender around him. Like, right. But the thing is then they wouldn't have to tank either. And then you'd get Jamal back and Jalen's second year in the, on the team. Wait, so you want, how are you getting Jalen and Jamal? Oh, you're right. Maybe CJ. (laughs) Yeah. So you're saying CJ for Jalen. No. Dame for Jamal. (laughs) (laughs) Nurkic Blow for Jokic. Who says you split, no? <laughs> you split Damian Lillard in half. Half of him goes to Denver. Half of <laughs> him goes to Boston. Still better than what they have now. I mean, better than Compazzo. I don't you dare Compazzo is I shrunk big honey. Yeah. Um, my I'm so conflicted. Okay, because on one hand, I want Damian Lillard to win a championship because I really respect him as a player and I think he's a great player, a top ten player. And I think his best chance to win a championship is probably to leave Portland, right? On the other hand, or to Brooklyn. On the other hand, I'm going to leave that alone. On the other hand, I, as a fan, he's the one that stayed. You know what I'm saying? He's the one, one of our last hopes for a player staying with the same franchise for their entire careers, which we're not seeing in the same age. It's him and last hopes. I don't. No, not necessarily last hopes. I'm just saying it doesn't happen that often, right? And he's one of the longest tenured players we have. One of the longest new superstars. <laughs> he is the last Jedi, you fools. So, <laughs> so I understand if I was Damian Lillard's friend, I would probably advise him to leave. Um, as a fan, I would like him to stay. But I understand if he leaves, I will, I will support that. Um, you think if they... Okay, you guys know that for months now, maybe even, I've been saying CJ for Ben. I want it. I need it. I crave it. Ben Simmons can be the Draymond Green to Damian Steph. And that's what he really, that's the role he really needs to be in. I think I switched those two, but you do get it. And CJ gives them that end of game score that they don't have in Philly. So if that happens, you think that's enough to entice Damian to stay? Maybe he didn't watch the playoffs because he was playing in the first round and then he went to Cabo. (laughs) Maybe he hasn't seen Ben Simmons at all. Like I almost feel like that that would be a good fit, but if they if they say, "Hey, Dame, stay," we're getting Ben Simmons. He's be like, "Uh, the guy I just watched take four shots in the fourth quarter over seven games." 
Yeah, I think that was on the list of uh, things to fill you in on that you maybe didn't fully capture on your vacation was... Yeah, Ben Simmons died. The cratering of Ben Simmons. Um, I think he's on my squad, uh, Skulldog Boys team hugging. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, looking rough for you. Um, I mean, I think legit, I can't... You know, we've we've been watching basketball for a relatively short amount of time, but I can't think of any worse playoff performance relative to expectations in history. Um, so, I mean, if I were Portland, I, and Daryl called me and said, Hey, we want CJ. We'll give you Ben Simmons. I'd say, and what else? Because why would I want Ben Simmons for CJ right now? Because you don't need Ben Simmons to be a scorer on that team. <laughs> The thing is, that's that's why I would do it if I was Portland. I'm like, obviously, this backcourt isn't working, right? We have two small guards that can't defend. That's not getting it done. I need a strong wing defender, and I've tried to get it in Covington and Maurice Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu, and I haven't found it, okay? You know what? I could have the second, the second in voting and defensive player of the year come in, and that fits my team so much better because that's exactly what I'm looking for, you know? Um, after some time to think about, you know, it feels raw coming off these playoffs. Yeah. Once they take a step back and really look at the whole thing, I think, I think that could be a fair trade. Um, I just, you know, I've been saying it for so long and I just feel like people always say Ben Simmons needs to get a jump shot to reach his potential. And I just disagree. Like he's Draymond Green. Draymond Green doesn't need a jump shot. That's fine. Right. He just needs to be in a in a scenario where he has a he's great Giannis shooter next to him. More than he is Draymond Green. He just needs he needs a scenario where he has a great shooter next to him, right? Instead of a, their best player being a center who doesn't want to shoot threes, right? And we've said this for years. You have said this about Draymond obsessively, incessantly, repeatedly for years. Correct. Thank you. Um, you're like Bill Simmons talking about how he wants to watch Jalen and Jason for the next 10 years. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's a decent comparison, but I think Draymond shoots open threes and Draymond takes open dunks and Draymond can guard centers and Draymond is the guy who's working the hardest of anyone on the team. Are you saying right now that Draymond's a better player than Ben Simmons? Right now at this moment, I don't know, but three years ago, peak Draymond is better than Ben Simmons right now. For yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah. I mean, Draymond's athleticism is fading, so he's not the defender he used to be. But yeah, I would take Draymond over Ben Simmons right now, honestly, probably. You'd so, take right now is Draymond over right now is Ben Simmons just because of this. It's so hard to say, right? Because Ben Simmons scored 42 points in a game this year. Draymond maybe has never done that. Definitely wouldn't do that this season. And yet I bet in a playoff game, Draymond wouldn't pass up an open dunk. You know what I'm saying? So it's, yeah, like, it's one of those things. Are we, are, right, do you are wanna, we just being prisoners of the moment? Or it's 100% what's we, happening with everyone. Yeah. He had, a think, poor, he had a poor playoff performance. Okay. But it's bigger than that, and we know it is, right? It's like, I think it's just not going to work out in Philly. That's the main thing, and we all agree, right? Because yeah, 
I mean, it's definitely not going to work out now, considering it's immediately after the game. Yeah. Your star player called you out and essentially said we would have won if it wasn't for you. (laughs) But, you know, I'm a big defender of Ben Simmons, obviously. You know, I love him. But what Seth's point is, and I think you would agree with this, Kyle, as of now, at least, the main difference in Ben Simmons and Draymond Green is the mentality, right? You know, Draymond Green goes out there with a fuck you attitude, is the most competitive guy on the court, and thinks he's, you know, he thinks he's going to make the next open three and the next contested dunk. And we saw in the playoffs that Ben Simmons didn't feel that way. And the playoffs. Right. And we saw and maybe Ben that's Simmons just, do that with that attitude during the regular right. season. <laughs> I mean, it comes and goes with him, you know, he's just not engaged all the time. It seems like at least on this Philly team. So that's why I think we can all agree a new scenario is where he, he might be able to blossom into that Draymond role. Right. I think Ben just didn't feel the support of his team. So he just, he, he went into his shell. I think you're right. And that I think he knew he knew he was good. He knew he was going to get traded for Harden, right? Probably not that happy to go into work after that, knowing that his team doesn't really want him, right? So we'll see. We'll see how the mentality changes if he's on a new team. CJ for Ben, just get it done. Okay. Call call Adam Silver right now. <laughs> I mean Steve, what yeah, are your thoughts? Oh. <laughs> I think I think for me and for a lot of fans. I mean, I'm not a Sixers fan. I was happy they lost. But I think for a lot of people, that mental aspect is the hardest to stomach because it feels like it should be the easiest thing to change, right? It's like not everyone has the smooth stroke of Steph Curry or even Seth Curry, right? Just a better as, hard as, as hard as you work at it, you're never going to be as good, right? But everyone can, at least our impression is, everyone can work hard. Everyone can be control, be in control of their attitude, right? So some people could be in trade rumors for James Harden, one of the best players in the league, and think, wow, my team doesn't want me. And other people are in that situation and they see, wow, my team had a chance to get James fucking Harden and they didn't do it because like, that's how good they think I am. So I think that was just the, the biggest thing with Sixers fans is once the mental aspect seemed like it wasn't there, that that's just like hard to forgive and hard to stomach that kind of performance. But I think it's absolutely true that maybe in a new scenery, uh, you know, with, coaches and players having a different attitude towards Ben, you know, he's someone who could blossom in in a new role, but it just, it's one of those things. Like if he succeeds, then are all of his critics wrong? Well, his critics are just reacting to the evidence that he's giving us. So it's like, how good of fortune tellers are we? I don't know, but we can only say what we've seen. I think both the criticism will be fair and the feeling that he could boss in a new scenario is fair. And I want to see it. And I've been wanting to see it for years, as you know. So I think it's finally reached the breaking point. I mean, there's no way they can bring him back, right? You would think not, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, it's time for our new segment that everyone loves. What did Sam miss? Although I feel like we already went over most of this. But as I was on the vacation for 10 days saw i saw the end of game seven bucks nets and devin booker break his nose that's about it 
Um, so I just wanted to, talk about. <laughs> I wanted to go over for me and the listeners a little more in depth about the biggest storylines that you guys felt uh, over the last two weeks being in the thick of it. Um, so I listed a bunch of them. Do you want me to read them or you want to go off your cuff? No, we let's just go off the cuff. I think one that uh, wasn't on the list that was probably the most exciting or just wildest was what the people are calling the Valley Oop. Uh, DeAndre Ayton dunking the ball. Gorgeous play. 0.9 seconds left. Incredible, incredible drawn-up play. Perfect Horrible pass defense from by Jay DeMarcus Crowder Cousins. Too. Yeah. And uh, kudos to Jeff Van Gundy, who is informing all the fans, including me, instantaneously that there is no uh, goaltending on an inbounds play. I knew this. Um, Kyle knew this. And it you know, in some ways it makes perfect sense, right? You're, you can't score a basket from an inbounds. So how could you goaltend? It's not a but shot. I feel like, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could just as easily, the rule could just be, well, neither team can touch the ball when it's on the cylinder at any point, including, you know, in that situation. But regardless, that's the rule. Incredible drawn up play. Um, and the longest 0.9 seconds in human history. What I, what I saw from at least the highlights and Reddit and everything was that, that <laughs> the last few minutes of the game took like 30 minutes. And also yeah. the other part aspect of that play I enjoyed is the highlight of Monty Williams saying in the huddle before the play, DeAndre, you just got to try to dunk it. <laughs> and then <Yeah>. he did. <laughs> it was incredible. You know, to, rely on DeAndre Ayton in that one of the biggest moments in Suns history as of God knows how long after his first year in the league when everyone was kind of saying he's a bust. Um, if that doesn't boost your confidence as a player, I don't know what will. <laughs> I mean, Ayton's come out and said multiple times that two things. One, playing with Chris Paul has made him the best basketball player he could possibly be and the amount of respect he has for Monty Williams and his coaching, he wouldn't be where he is this year without either of those two. The thing with DeAndre, sorry, real quick, I was just going to say is like, he's proven in this playoffs and this is going to sound like maybe a crazy thing to say, but at the same time, not crazy at all is that he's better than Kristaps Porzingis and Rudy Gobert because the Clippers in both those matchups were able to go small and those two players weren't able to hurt them all at all on the offensive end. Right. And they cannot do that in this series because Deandre Aiden destroys them on the offensive end. And they had to play Zubach for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, which they don't want to do. And so coming to the playoffs, would you have necessarily said he was better than those two players? Maybe not, but he's proven that. Kristaps, okay. Yes. <laughs> all of us would have definitively said Aiden was much better than Kristaps before the playoffs. I don't so, know, dude. Last year, I don't know if I would have said it. Last year is a different story, probably. But yeah. well, last year he didn't have we. He wasn't playing with Chris Paul. That's complete. Last year, Aiden wasn't even born yet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kristaps is cheeks, and we've been saying that for a while. <laughs> uh, Kyle, who are you taking for a playoff series? DeAndre Aiden or Giannis? Who's surrounding them? <laughs> Who's a prisoner of the moment now is my question. <laughs> if we're talking about 
if I'm taking the Suns or the Bucks on the backs of DeAndre Ayton or Giannis, hands down, 10 out of 10 times, I'm choosing the Suns. Let me ask you this, Kyle. On the back of Nemes Quita, <laughs> who <will> you take? <laughs> I, I want to... Uh, I think we're only have one podcast left before we take a hiatus for the rest of the summer um, because there's not much sports going on. But for that next pod, I want to go out with the bang and list our top 40 players right now after oh seeing God. the playoffs. <laughs> and there's no way Aiden isn't like, I don't know. Like after seeing these playoffs, like I'd take him over Gobert. Like he might be top 20 at this point. I don't know. Like he just, he's, if you have scores around him, obviously he's not the kind of player that can carry a team. But like if I'm in crunch time, in the playoffs, I want that guy out there over a lot of players I would have said I wanted over him before this playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he plays his role very well. He's a, a menace on the boards. He can make uh, little hook shots. He can make the occasional open jumper. Sets Finishes strong at the rim. Plays good defense. He's good on switches. So, good hands. Yeah, he's. we all love him. Um, and it is just speak to that. What an incredible – that's got to – when we're looking back in 10, 15 years, that draft has got to be one of the best in history with Luca, Trey, and Aiton, and SGA. Uh, and Marvin Bagley. For the Kings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why is it always the Kings, dude? <laughs> I feel so bad for them. The Sacramento fans. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, and um, – I don't know. I'll be interested to see what happens. I mean, it looks to all intents and purposes as if the Suns will make the finals. And like, how will we think of a Chris Paul historically, if he wins the finals, B Devin Booker as a player right now, is he creeping up to that top 11 that we've held so sacred over the season? Right. And C Deandre Aiden is rocketing up. So they're all getting a boost. Um, I think maybe the other thing, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. The other storyline that maybe we haven't hit yet from when I was gone is just Trey Young and his dominance over these playoffs. Um, just eviscerated the Sixers, even with Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibault guarding him. It's just eviscerating the Bucks, even with Drew Holiday guarding him. I mean, these are the players, these are the three best guard defenders in the league, right? <laughs> so, and you know, he'll have his inefficient games, but he still seems to make the plays at the end of the game that matter. Right. Um, unlike his counterparts in Ben Simmons and beat and Giannis, right. You trust him more at the end of the games. So um, has that been a big storyline for you guys? And, and what were your thoughts on that? I think he was the perfect foil for Ben Simmons in that series, because you have this guy who's at best six, one balding, his first time in the playoffs and he's completely fearless. He's trash talking the Philly crowd. He will take 35 footers with a hand in his face, no question. Right. And then compare that to what we just said about Ben Simmons. So that was just really fun. And I was glad to be cheering for the Hawks in that series. Um, And I think the big thing Again, it, it's kind of that question about, okay, were his critics wrong from the beginning or were they just reacting to what they saw and he's changed who he is? So I think 
his increased playmaking and really it seems like the his leadership and his relationship to his teammates has greatly improved and it really feels like that team rallies around him believes in him the way that they've made those astronomical comebacks in games where they just clearly all believe like we're never out of it that's what's been most impressive to me I mean, we've said it before. You really do have to give credit to that front office too, with surrounding him with, yeah. you know, much better the, players than the Mavs have. The, yeah, I, just like his his role players, good on defense, can hit open shots, and at the same time, pretty much everyone, probably besides Capella, can create their own shot too. When Trey's sitting, taking his rest, or is you know. Out of out of the possession being guarded by, you know, whoever on the other team. It's like there's just so many weapons on that team. We don't even talk about how amazing John Collins has been, not even in the playoffs, but really the second half of the season when um when they switch coaches too. It's the whole organization seems like they went a full 180 at that point in time in the season after the all-star break. A not, poor yeah. player on the Kwame Browns, John Collins. What I really like about John Collins, too, from what I've seen in the playoffs, um, like he's not as involved in the offense as he would like to be, I'm sure, because of Clint Compella being there. You know, John Collins was that pick-and-roll partner for Trey, and now that's a lot of times Clint. But he still gets his alley-oop dunks, and he just seems to hit, like, the biggest threes of the game every other game. <laughs> Always you know? from the left corner. Yeah, and so, like, he's he's not – one of the major parts of the offense, but he fills his role perfectly. Right. And that's, I respect that, you know, he makes big offensive rebounds and big shots, you know, when he gets them. And again, another contrast with Ben Simmons, right. (laughs) Something adverse happens with, with personnel. They, they add Clint Capella to the mix. Clint's getting most of the pick and roll opportunities, but instead of wallowing, John Collins rises everywhere. He, yeah, he rises to the moment. He's catching alley-oop dunks. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's proving uh, to the Hawks how valuable he is to them and potentially to other teams, you know, why why he deserves a big load of cash. So I don't even want to hear another word about my baby boy, Ben Simmons. And I'm on, I'm on the (laughs) same page as you, Sam. He's going to shock I, the world next year, wherever he plays. I mean, it won't be shocking. I think the criticism is fair, and I think we all think it'll be better in a better situation. But that being said, not another word about the man I birthed with my own groin. When he's um, shooting 76% from the free throw line next year, he's going to shock the world, let me tell you. <laughs> It'll be shooting right-handed, though. Uh, <laughs> so that was the new segment, uh, What Did Sam Miss? Wildly I panned add, by critics. <laughs> yeah, go can ahead. Can I add one more thing about what you missed? Because we didn't yeah. talk about the jazz very much. Oh, good point. And, uh, Disgraceful. And I, and I wanted to also say, through their disgrace, they have um, rid the Clippers of what was perhaps the most astonishing streak in sports, um, having never made a conference finals. So I think we should acknowledge that. Kudos to the Clippers. They finally made it. Uh, kind of sad that this is like the Super Bowl for them, that they just made a conference finals. But um, I'm sure we know where Kyle stands. Uh, do you think I was getting ready to say something point? about it. 
are we at the same point, Sam, do you think with the Jazz as we are with the Sixers, where it's like the Mitchell and Gobert core just is not going to work? No, I think – so, listen, you and I don't even love Gobert. We don't even really like him. Uh, we just feel the need to defend him because Kyle is so far to the other side. Um, he's not a likable guy, and he's not a likable player, and I don't particularly like him. <laughs> and I think it is clear, and we all know this, that he brings a certain value to the defensive end and yet is a better, better regular season player than a playoff player. And that's the kind of player that I like the least. Um, I still think he has that's value. That's why we just like Harden. <laughs> is, really, is really one player's defensive prowess that important to a whole team to essentially be playing with four shooters when you're playing against teams with five shooters? Well, the thing is, like, if a team goes small like the Clippers do, right, and Gobert is responsible for basically basically covering someone on the three-point corner and also walling off drives, that's not a sustainable situation. You need a defensive stopper on the wing, right? And then it's like, okay, if I had a defensive like stopper on, Right, and it's like if I had a defensive stopper on the ring, wing, A, how valuable is it that I have a defensive center – and B, is that defensive wing going to be good enough offensively for it to matter, right? Because they have one in Royce O'Neal, but he doesn't do anything on offense, so it doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? So it is definitely hard to build around Gobert. And it's like, what are the Jazz supposed to do, right? Like, they're a small market team. Like, they got these guys in the draft. They don't really have a lot of options, you know? So I just don't know what they do going forward, you know. Get rid of Gobert. What is, like, who... What what's this? Their worst the thing is they could have not played Gobert, but it's like what do you have behind him? You have Derek Favors. You could go like Ingles, Bogdanovich, O'Neal, and then oh, yeah, it's like I'm not your saying small that they ball should is worse have, than the should have just sat ball. him this year. But I'm saying if this didn't open their eyes to say let's see if we could trade him for a versatile big man, I don't think anything will. But who would do that? You know what I'm saying? There's still a lot of old head coaches in this league and front offices that for some reason clamor over stout defensive big men that don't leave the paint. All right. Ben Simmons for Rudy Gobert. You go twin towers in the 76ers. Who says no? (laughs) Why the hell not? The Sixers. Uh, If I were the jazz, I would every practice from here on out just put Royce O'Neal or Mike Conley guarding or whoever they have like guards wings on the bench and they're guarding Rudy Gobert in all of their scrimmages and Rudy's job is to just work on punishing them on the boards backing them down and getting dunks and because they that I think that's their only hope is figuring out a way for Rudy to punish other teams for playing small 100% 100% on the offense. If they can't like, do that, yeah. But I don't think they're not going to find probably viable trade partners for Gobert. And it's hard when you're Utah to build a contender, right? The thing is, like, agents. Rudy Gobert doesn't have to become this great offensive player. All he has to do, like we said, is become DeAndre Aiden, right? He doesn't have to become this three point mid range shooter. No. All he has to do is be able to catch the ball and finish or post up smaller players and just score over them. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not this huge transformation. Maybe it is for him because he's so unskilled, but you know, I don't know. There's just not a lot of options for them. Right. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do, but run this back? I don't know. Right back. Can I say we were talking about that Trey Young draft? There are five with an asterisk, I guess. Five players from the top nineteen picks in that draft in the in the conference finals this year. Bridges too. And then Dante, but you know. Even uh, Chandra or otherwise. <laughs> uh, we might as well transition to uh, an update on our boys because Mikel is one of mine. So I have Mikel Bridges still left. Um, and that's it. And I don't want to talk about the rest of my players. I think all of mine were out in the first round. Yeah, because you only had Celtics players. <laughs> and Portland. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, how are your but boys Next doing? year we strike. Yeah. Uh, mine are all gone. They're done. Oh, baby. Macau Bridges. And he wasn't even my first pick. I picked the other I know. Bridges. I talked you into Macau. And then welcome. I realized the other Bridges was already out of the playoffs as we were recording. So, Good. Uh, so, finals picks, gone to your head. I think we all think Suns-Hawks with the Giannis injury. I mean, I was thinking Suns-Hawks before the Giannis injury, so. Sam. So, who would, you pick, pool. who would you pick in the in the finals, then, if that was a matchup? Suns. The Suns in seven games. Sun, I would pick the Suns as well. Ooh, baby, that'd be a great champion, dude. Chris Paul, his first finals. I really hope Booker so. I might cry if it happens. Please, honestly, Bucks just lose. Okay, Milwaukee, you're listening because I would love a Suns Hawks finals. We don't have anything to worry about. Bud doesn't know how to adjust. Now that Giannis is out, he has nothing in his playbook. Bud is almost with, nothing. with his long hair. He looks like he could join the used car uh, lot with Steve Javi and start moving some cars. Have you seen that? He's got like a little half mullet going on with a beard. How do you think he's making a living right now? So <laughs> <laughs> now there's an NBA coach. Uh, all right, any final thoughts for the listeners, boys? Never. No, no, I got nothing to say besides go Hawks. Ice trade again. <clears throat> On the third day, Trey Young filled up his ice tray. Thank again. you.